You're a busy provider trying to stay current with the latest HIV testing, prevention, and treatment guidelines, and your pockets are overflowing with note cards. You need a convenient, trustworthy source for HIV testing, treatment, prevention, and care protocols. All healthcare professionals have a role in stopping HIV. Introducing HIV Care Tools from the AIDS Education and Training Center program. The HIV Care Tools mobile app is simple, free, and fully functional offline or online. It features quick guides for HIV prevention, screening, testing, diagnosis, and treatment. HIV Care Tools provides common clinical calculators used in HIV management and provide validated screening tools for comorbidities such as depression, substance use disorders, and PTSD. And if you need clinician-to-clinician consultation, HIV Care Tools provides one-touch access to free clinical consultation services by a multidisciplinary team of experts. Take us with you. Download HIV Care Tools today. Welcome to Nika in the Know, a podcast for healthcare providers in the HIV field. I'm Mariana Brayman. Today, I'm sitting down with John Farragon to talk about the role of pharmacists in PrEP and PEP. Welcome again, John. Yeah, thanks, Mariana. Happy to be here today. So, John, can you tell us a little bit about what's happening with pharmacists as they relate to PrEP and PEP? Why are we talking about this today? Yeah, so um, I think uh, I thought we would cover some stuff here today, Marianne, about pharmacists. And you know, I think many pharmacists are in a great position to expand uh, PrEP and PEP awareness and also potentially even increase uh, PrEP and, and PEP prescribing for, for, for patients who may be at risk. Uh, and some some states, in fact, actually have um, these uh, allow pr- uh, pharmacists to actually independently initiate and actually prescribe PEP and PrEP in their pharmacy setting. Um, usually when that happens, they're usually operating under what we call a collaborative practice agreement. And again, different states do it differently. Um, but basically, it's, it's established with a local physician or a local prescriber or their health department. And they're basically what happens is the, the, the way this usually works is that the pharmacist and the provider enter into some kind of a written agreement and it allows the pharmacist to actually initiate therapy therapy for PrEP and sometimes even post-exposure prophylaxis for PEP. But um, uh, pharmacies uh, um, for, for testing, like if we're looking at PrEP, the way this typically works is that a lot of the pharmacies actually can do third generation oral swabs for HIV testing. And so if you have somebody that comes in who's talking about potentially going on on, on PrEP and, and they want to get an HIV test, you can actually do that third generation oral swab and then if you have this collaborative practice protocol, you could potentially initiate them on, 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 uh, on, on a PrEP prescription. Um, so the other thing is that sometimes the patients may have to go to a lab to get some of their initial labs completed. But again, that can also be done kind of through some standardized process. But I, I think what's important here is that the pharmacist, I think, in the pharmacist's role, I think not just in pharmacists that are working in the clinic, but also in community pharmacies and, uh, and also um, uh, um, uh, chain pharmacies, there are some important things that I think pharmacists can actually do in providing PrEP and PEP for patients. But, but, but you know, again, it depends on your comfort level as a pharmacist and whether or not this is something you'd want to do. But I think there are people out there that are certainly involved with, uh, with, use, with getting people on PrEP and PrEP in, in their individual uh, practice settings. But I think the most important thing, even if you're not doing the, the, the provision of, of care for that, for, for providing PrEP and actually providing the prescription, um, I think there's a lot, and you don't have that collaborative practice. I think there's a lot of pharmacists can do a lot of education about HIV risk reduction strategies. Um, 
you know, even if they're not participating in one of those collaborative practice agreements. And I, I think many of you would know, but this would include things like testing for HIV, uh, STI assessments and treatments, and also providing access to clean syringes and assisting with that. And I think also providing education around U equals U, which is undetectable, is, uh, is untransmittable, um, and other risk reduction strategies. So I think there's a lot that pharmacists can do uh, in, in pharmacy settings. And the, and the question is, would you, some of them would require a collaborative practice agreement, but even if you don't have that, I still think there's a lot that pharmacists can do to um, are, are centered around HIV education uh, for, for both for treatment and also for prevention. I think an important question to ask is, what can pharmacists do to help pay for PrEP? Yeah, so this comes up quite a bit. So one of the main concerns, I think, for a lot of patients, especially for PrEP, is how they're going to pay for it. And, and the pharmacist can certainly provide assistance around this by helping people with copay and manufacturer assistance programs. And, and now with the available uh, generic versions of, of FTC TDF, the payment for PrEP has been uh, reduced significantly uh, in recent years. So the amount of outlay or the payment, even for cash prescriptions, has actually been, been reduced significantly. And while some patients may need to be on TAF FTC, you know, that's the more expensive version. So the Descovy, um, perhaps for those people who may have renal disease or bone disease, even in this setting, patient assistance programs are available. Um, in addition, the, the provision of, of PrEP um, is, is, this, is in this uh, USPHSTF, uh, the task force. It's a grade A recommendation, meaning that it is supposed to be covered without charge for insurance plans uh, within the Affordable Care Act. <clears throat> Though that's been challenged at some times for certain states, but you know, that I think that is very common. I think most, most insurance companies pay for this. And then prior authorization is often not required by most insurance companies, but again, it depends on the company, depends on the state. But these copay assistance uh, uh, plans for PEP and for PrEP are available through the pharmaceutical manufacturers. And there are other, other programs for uninsured clients. And basically, there's a couple of them. The, the, the federal Ready, Set, PrEP program um, is, is probably the most important one. And then if you go to, to your individual state website, if you, your Department of Health website to your individual state, you'll, um, and, you, and you search PrEP, I'm sure you'll find that there are distant, different assistance programs for many states, not every state, but for many states that would help to assist uh, patients that they're looking for, uh, for for PrEP, especially in states like New York and New Jersey. But that Ready, Set, PrEP program, I think is really important because that is really a, a good assistance program. It's actually run, run by, the, uh, by, by the federal government that can help you to access PrEP if you, if you need it. What about education on adherence and how to take PrEP, especially if patients are doing on-demand dosing? Yeah, so one of the key uh, pieces of PrEP, I think, uh, for pharmacists, at least their role is, is, is education. I think it's something that we can do well. Um, and, and again, uh, especially those who are working in the retail or community pharmacy setting. So one of the dosing strategies that's often confusing is what we call event-driven or on-demand dosing. And again, I want to be very clear, this is not like a formal recommendation in the current U.S. guidelines. So if you look at our, our guidelines in the United States, it recommends that really daily PrEP is the, is the best way to do PrEP. But it is mentioned as a possible dosing strategy. And I think they're just being realistic that some patients may be doing this. And so to, just to review quick, the big studies that looked at this event-driven study only used FTC and TDF only, so the older version. Um, and the, basically the way they did this was that study subjects took two tablets and they took them at least two to 24 hours prior to uh, having sex. And then one tablet was taken again, 24, 24 um, and 48 hours after the, the initial two tablets were taken. So, so when, this, when this dose was used, HIV prevention was very similar to daily dosing. And the study where they did this is called the Prevenir study. There was another one previously before that was called the Ipergay. But the, the Prevenir study was, was a, 
was done in France as the, as was the Ipergay. But the key points with this Prevenir study, I think are important is that this was only done with TDF FTC, not TAF FTC. So it's the older version. So it's, it's TDF, the older version of Tenofovir, not the newer version. It was only done in men having sex with men, not in women. There were small numbers of patients who were transgender women in the study. And to my knowledge, I don't think there's any data existence in transgender males. So definitely limitations to who we can use this on-demand dosing for, but I think it's important that people are aware of it. And I think it's an important piece that pharmacists are aware of it. They can certainly assist patients in trying to make sure that they're doing it correctly and making sure it's an appropriate strategy for that individual patient. But again, despite the two-in-one dosing, it's important to note that the daily dosing is the preferred method for, for PrEP. And this should be discussed in detail with patients when providing PrEP. Uh, and also the indications for TDF, FTC versus TAF, FTC are also different. So many of you may recall that TAF-FTC is not approved by the FDA for vaginal sex. So there were, there were no women in the DISCOVER study um, that, that actually looked at that approval. And the FDA did not allow uh, the, the manufacturer to approve TAF-FTC for women. But TDF-FTC pretty much can be used for all, all populations, including cisgender men and women, and also transgender men and women as well for TDF-FTC. Um, so when we're starting PrEP, Marianne, it's also important to counsel and education patients on how to use it uh, more uh, use, uh, use PrEP, and more importantly, <laughs> the need for maintaining excellent adherence. And I think that should be reviewed at each refill pickup at the pharmacy or at each visit with the pharmacist. Um, clearly, when you look at the PrEP failures in some of the studies, especially with oral therapy, the drug levels in either, in either hair, something like at hair, hair samples, dried blood samples, or even plasma samples, the drug levels for people that fail are, are almost historically substantially lower than what's required for HIV prevention. And there's examples out there, the HPTN, the 083 study and 084 study, which compared TDF-FTC to, to the injectable um, cabotegavir, and then the Discover, which looked at TAF-FTC versus TDF-FTC. When you look at all those patients that failed on oral therapy, um, you can almost always tell that uh, based on the drug levels, at least for the subsets that were analyzed, you can show that they had lower drug levels and probably were not taking the drug um, uh, every single day or not, or not taking it appropriately. So, and again, refill histories for pharmacies may be helpful in also determining this as well. But it's important to note that even if, that if patients are using this on-demand dosing, refill history may not actually be a good method to actually determine whether or not patients are actually doing the, the, the two-on-one, the on-demand dosing appropriately. So again, a lot of kind of nuances there, but I think the bottom line is, is that, you know, patients need to be told that really, I think uh, the best way to take PrEP is to take it every single day. That, those, that's where the, I think the, the, um, the vast majority of the studies show that the, the, there's greater efficacy there. But for those patients that are on on-demand and are doing this, I think we have to meet them where they are and certainly make sure they understand the on-demand dosing and certainly understand that if they have higher levels of risk more than one time in a week, they probably should just go on daily dosing for, for HIV prevention. Can you comment on prescriptions that are quote-unquote abandoned or never picked up for PrEP? Yeah, so this is a this is a great a great thing to talk about. I think, and again, as it relates to pharmacists, it's important. Um, there, there was a study that was published in, in Clinical Infectious Diseases. This is a brief report that was in January of 2022. Um, that was when it was available online, but the actual publication is from August. But this looked at this IQV a real world database, and this database has been out there for a while, and it represents over 90 percent of all retail prescriptions with about anywhere from 60 to 85% of those that are from mail order outlets in the United States. So when a prescription is sent to a pharmacy, many of you may know this, but 
it's either charged as cash to the patient or else it's billed to the patient's insurance. So either way, you know, once it's finalized and the script is going through, you know, if they have insurance, it goes to the insurance. If it, if it goes to cash, it's if they don't have insurance, it goes to, to a cash prescription. But if that prescription is not picked up within 14 days, the medications, at least in this study, was returned to inventory so that the transaction was what we call quote unquote reversed. So if they build the insur insurance for a prescription and it isn't picked up in 14 days, they, they reverse the prescription, so unbuild it. And so these reversals actually can be picked up in this IQVIA database. So this group that, that did the study, and this is actually data of CDC in Atlanta, they looked at people uh, who are at least 16 years old who were using an established algorithm to kind of use to determine scripts for PrEP. So they have an algorithm that they have set up that determines that this is likely a PrEP prescription versus someone who is on Truvada or Discovery or one of these medications for, um, for HIV treatment. So they defined a person who abandoned their PrEP if they had not picked the script up um, during a 12-month period from 2016 to 2019. So it's basically that 14-day period in a 12-month period, any, any time between 2016 to 2019. So what they found actually from 2016 to 2019, PrEP abandonment was around 8%. So not a terrible number, right? It was just under 10%. And in, eight, and in 2019, it was 8.5%. But the point here, I think, is for new PrEP prescriptions, these are people who are newly starting PrEP. The abandonment rate was a lot higher. It was actually close to, closer to 13% and compared to 4.5% for those who were established patients. And it's also higher in women as well, 13.3% versus 8.1% for men. So again, so for new, new patients and also for for women, you know, that this appears to be more common, this, this kind of abandonment of the prescription. But here's the crux of it, I think, Mariana, is that cash payers, people paying cash prescription, that accounted for almost 65% of the abandonment versus 13 13% for those people who had third-party payers paying for the prescription. And finally, if you look at those who had over $500 a month for 30 pills, were paying that money, whether it was for by insurance copay, if it was a percent copay, or whether it was uh, people who were paying that money out in cash, um, they were rates were 30 percent compared to lower compared to those with lower copayments that were that were below that. So again, higher amounts of cash payments or hash or um, higher amounts of even copay rates. If they're high, if they're higher amounts of money, patients are often going to abandon abandon their prescriptions. Totally makes sense, right? So they, you know, they, they agree that they're at risk, they want to take the pills, but they say, you know, I can't afford this, so they don't actually pick up the prescription. So in summary, new patients are 2.1 times more likely to abandon their PrEP prescriptions. And again, if you're looking at, to look at this more, more closely, again, as I said, it was published in the August, uh, uh, August 2022 CID. So, so what does this mean for pharmacists? What's the link to us as pharmacists, right? So me as a pharmacist, you know, clearly this is a crucial piece of what pharmacists can help with. You know, they can actually contact providers and inform them about scripts that are abandoned. So oftentimes, uh, pharmacists know their patients, and they may actually know that this is a person who, who is potentially going to go on, on PrEP, and they, you know, they abandon the prescription. So it might be a phone call to a, to a provider. Um, it also may be a, uh, a call to a patient assistance programs help. Uh, for, for those with higher copays that need help paying for PrEP. In addition, providing patient counseling, I think, on the importance of taking PrEP and using PrEP for new patients is also a possible way for us to, uh, as pharmacists, to kind of make a difference in medication retention. And, and as, as we all know, all of this, again, 
relates back to our most important role, I think, is, is in um, the role that we all play in, in ending, um, ending the HIV epidemic, the EHE plan that we have uh, that, 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 looks at, that looks at a lot of these issues as far as retention, PrEP, and getting people on their prescriptions and getting them linked to care. So, Marianne, I know this is quick, but I mean, there's a, there's a lot that pharmacists can do. And I think our role as pharmacists continues to expand. And I think we'll see more clinical roles expand over in, 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 in the coming years as we try to not only just end, end, H, end the HIV epidemic, but also think of all the disease states like hepatitis C and STI identification, et cetera. But even the basic roles of ensuring accurate prescriptions for the right people at the right dose and helping with copay and patient assistance, I think, are key roles where pharmacists can make a huge difference in our, in our people uh, living with HIV, but also our patients who may be um, using, uh, using PrEP and PEP services for, for HIV prevention. John, thanks so much for joining us and telling us about some of the highlights of what pharmacists do and prescription abandonment. We really hope you learned something new today. To learn more about Nika AETC's work and our role in ending the HIV epidemic, visit us at www.nikaatc.org. That's www.nekaaetc.org. If you have questions or comments about anything we covered today, or if you have suggestions for topics you'd like to hear us talk about, don't hesitate to email us at podcast at nikaaetc.org. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T at nikaaetc.org. Stay safe, and we'll see you on Thursday for our next episode of Nika in the Know. This presentation is supported by the Health Resources and Services Administration, HRSA, of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, HHS. The contents are those of the authors and do not necessarily represent the official views of, nor an endorsement by HRSA, HHS, or the U.S. government.